Welcome to the Her Story Podcast, Son Histoire à Elle. I'm your host, Kathleen Stavert. Son Histoire à Elle est un balado bilingue qui met en valeur non seulement le succès des femmes du Québec, mais qui souligne leur pratique et leur vie de tous les jours. I'll be talking with creative, successful, and game-changing women who are inspiring and relatable in the ordinary and extraordinary lives they lead. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy. My next guest needs no introduction, uh, but I'm going to introduce her anyways because that's what I do here on the show. Okay, if you've been in Montreal for long enough, you'll recognize her voice as a broadcaster on CBC's The Bridge and The Occasional Daybreak. She's a regular panelist on, like, every panel in town. She's a hip-hop artist, part of the group Nomadic Massive, who were nominated for an award at La Disque this year, by the way. She's also a mom. I can go on and on about Nantali and Dungo, but I'll let this interview speak for itself. I gotta say, I'm pretty bowled over by her generosity and openness. So, with no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Nantali and Dungo. <laughs> Hi, Nantali. Hi, Kathleen. <laughs> How's it going? You know what? Um, I is going. I mean, I'm. I am yeah. very much affected by the by the by the moon. I've noticed in the oh. last. Yeah, I've noticed in the last few years. I don't know if it's. I have a seven-year-old, and I feel since having my son, and just also getting into my forties. I'm just way more in tune with my energy, my hormone, all that stuff. Like I don't yet always have the yeah. need for everything, but um, I definitely get a sense and a feeling when something's coming and then I find out the, there's going to be a full moon or there was a full moon and everything is explained and, and I'm able to sort of kind of control like what I'm feeling a little bit more. So this week I was a little bit wonky. <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't have rest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same here. So I think it's called wisdom. <laughs> I think that's the word <laughs> when you're talking about your hormones and being sensitive. I actually did a, a full moon meditation online. Oh. It was a, it was a zoom meditation, uh, full moon in Aries. Oh, I hear you. What have your what have your full moon oh, symptoms man. been? Um, just like just really restlessness, like not I'm not yeah. sleeping well, you know, and I'm I've like yeah. I'm not sleeping properly in any way. Uh, like I'll sleep for a while, then I'll wake up and then can't fall back asleep or I'll be sleeping and wake up way too early than I need to. Um, yeah. And so that's yeah. a part of it. And, and then also just, um, you know, just feeling sort of, uh, so that restlessness in the sleep translates to restlessness in the wake, you know? So I feel kind of not centered or not, you know, a little bit agitated or easily agitated. So this week, well, yesterday in particular, I, I really 
was intentional uh, about taking some time. I dropped my son off at school and I was tempted to, I started like walking long distances um, whenever I could. And it was mostly when I was working, I'd go to studio, do my gig and then walk all the way back home. But I live in wow. Cotonej. I live in Cotonej and I work oh, downtown. Wow. <laughs> I work downtown. So I was doing that. And it was really, it was my way of trying to have a little bit of exercise <laughs> during COVID. Yeah, I'm a pedestrian. Yeah. I'm a pedestrian and my like up and down the stairs in the metro was really my stairmaster. Um, but yeah. uh, so, so I lost that gym. Uh, during COVID, but uh, I replaced it with walking. And then with the back to school, I wasn't able to do it as much. But yesterday I had the time. So I I did half of it. Like I took a bus a little ways and then I just walked and I sat down at La Fontaine Park for about oh. an hour. Yeah, I walked. Like, it was from beautiful yesterday. Yes, it was. It really was. And I miss living in that part of town. I mean, I love where I live, but I also miss that aspect of the plateau, like that, that kind of. Yeah, thing. I live um like a street away from La Fontaine. Oh yeah. Um, and it, I have to say, it's been that park has been my saving grace, mm. honestly, mm-hmm. throughout this time. Yeah. yeah, but I totally know what you mean. I've been I've been restless as well. Uh, I've been waking up like feeling, and then the rest of the day feeling like I can't wake up actually. And like yeah. feeling really stuffy in my neocortex. Like mm. my brain is just like stuffy. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. So, mm-hmm. okay. So on that note, sleeplessness, restlessness, when you do, when you are able to sleep these days, <laughs> what's been getting you up in the morning? Uh, well, I have no choice but to get up because my son has to be at school for 10 yeah. and 4, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I so do yeah, the morning. That'll, that'll do it. I do the morning. So dad is, is sleeping a bit while I'm doing the morning situation, um, which means I'm up at 6 every morning. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm up at 6 and I get, you know, I actually, I... I didn't, well, no, I realized it quite early, but I truly appreciate making my son's lunch in the morning. Oh, it's like, I don't know. It's like a really calming experience for me for some reason. I, people are always like, why don't you make it the night before? And I, and I don't know what it is. I, I just really appreciate that time. It is an alone time for me in a sense, because I don't get my son up until about a half an hour later. And, uh, yeah. And there's some comfort in, you know, just making this little lunch that I try to get creative about sometimes. Oh. And that's like my like a mini meditation going on in the morning. That's adorable. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that. That's like like your your alone time, but you're actually caring for someone else. And yeah. I mean, food is just such a gathering thing right like and I gathering around food but that's so sweet and like you know as a kid you don't you don't necessarily or I didn't I wasn't engaged in the in my lunch making process you know until like high school years which then was not much of a lunch but um yeah I don't know what my mom was doing or how she was experiencing it so (laughs) so now I yeah I really appreciate that so that's that is definitely 
you know, what gets me up. Caring for him, I guess, is what uh, really gets me up. <laughs> I don't really know. I don't think I've ever heard that from a mother, honestly. About <laughs> lunch like, making? Talking about the, the lunch making experience as a mom. Like, I... But I love it. I love how you're just like turning that around. <laughs> Thank you. I don't you know what I'm not. I am not a huge. Um, I like food, but I didn't really I didn't grow up with like a lot of attention to learning how to cook um, yeah. in, in my house. And so I was kind of figuring it out, trial and error through the university years and and, you know, as I got older. But before my son, I was definitely not, I was not about the the kitchen that much, but his, his father is a huge food person. Like he really, he loves to cook. Mm. He's really great at it. And, and I, mm. I'm like, I need the cookbook. I have my dishes that I can hold down and I can yeah. get ready. But um, yeah, but something about, something about making his lunches is, is soothing for me. Yeah. It's like, it's soothing for me. Uh. And and I just also, you know, I I know that he's going to be um, like, there's no rush about it. You know, we really, of course, the morning routine is always rushed um, with kids. And yeah, but that aspect of it is a calming sort of thing that he carries with him. <laughs> we also walk to school together, which is which is a part of the routine that I appreciate as well. When the weather's great. it's Yeah, it's, that's so lovely. Yeah, all of that, all of that moment, because that's really, that's pretty much all of that happens within an hour, an hour and a half of my day. And then, yeah, the rest of it is pretty chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is what I'm really, I'm really interested. One of the reasons why I started this podcast, the whole thing, was because, well, A, I want to relate to people. B, I love getting life hacks from people. <laughs> and C, I'm just really like inspired as to how other women live their lives and yeah. what they do, what keeps them grounded, what throws them off. And especially yes. around this time, you know, where it's it, it's not the same. Like we're not in the mm -hmm. same time mm -hmm. at the moment. The world mm -hmm. is just fucking crazy. So yeah, what are the other things that um, that you do in your day that keep you grounded or maybe that throw you off? What's yeah. your, what's your sort of like extraordinary and ordinary life like? Daily oh my, life? oh my gosh. Um, I am always working. Uh, I'm, I'm a, well, as you know, yeah, I'm a journalist. <laughs> I'm a journalist and a broadcaster and I'm also, uh, an MC vocalist in a band and like my identities in both of those spaces also expand to other work in that, you know, people call on me to, to participate in, in, in other things, you know, to, to, to be a panelist, to moderate, whatever it is to engage with them. Um, people call me a lot to kind of pick my brain around ideas. So I'm, I'm always, and and when I say people, like people outside of those communities, like other artists or other yeah. people working in community, people thinking about all kinds of things. So I am always working. <laughs> and, and always yeah. on. 
Yeah, yeah, always on, always on. And I have really, um, for a few, like in the last cu- couple of years, I have tried to make some very intentional choices uh, to say no. And I, I, you know, it was hard in the beginning um, to adjust and, and make those changes. But this year, um, I've, I think I've gotten way a lot better at it um, because I start to question myself, like, why are you on so much? Like, why do you have to do it? Why do you have to be present? Why, yeah. you know? So um, the, yeah, it's just, it's something that I have to, I'm still, I definitely am learning how to control for that. And also I, this is, this is something that I, I really tuned in with just recently. I, and it had more to do with like the way things were, were happening in my band, uh, Nomadic Massive. We've been in the, we've been doing this for like 15 years and for the first probably seven years of me being in the band, I was a freelancer. Like I, I was I mean, I'm still sort of on contract at CBC. There are no staff jobs at CBC. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was much, I was what we call a casual worker. Um, and so you kind of gave your availability and, and if they needed you, they called you. And if you could, you worked, right? So I was very busy with mm-hmm. other things in the arts and in community work. And so during that time, um, music was a big I mean, it still is a big part of my life, but I was a, you know, we were working towards being professional artists and and we pretty much were from the very beginning and still are. And so I didn't go to very, I didn't go to very many um, social things. Like I didn't really hang out with friends or there were many Christmas events that I missed or birthday parties and all that kind of stuff. Cause I just always would put, you know, the needs of the band before all of that, you know, yeah. we'd have to travel. There's so many. I remember thinking about like a cultural activity that I loved going to. Um, it's a picnic that happens uh, every year in July uh, by the Vincentian Association because I'm part Vincentian and I grew up in that community, like uh, deep in that community association. <laughs> My mother was a president at yeah. some point. But yeah, so they used to, they oh, do. Wow. Like, they do a picnic every year out in uh, in Langsu, and uh, <laughs> I couldn't go. I would miss it. Like for I haven't been to. I think I, the last time I was at that picnic was like in two thousand and two thousand and six or something. <laughs> you know, and uh, maybe yeah. once since that time, I, I managed to get there one year because we weren't on tour. It just so happened we weren't on tour yet. Like I probably left the next day or something, but all of those things, I kind of miss that stuff. So now um, I'm trying to correct the instinct to like, if I have something that's more personal, that's planned, and then I get called to participate in something else, I still prioritize the music stuff because I have to. But if I get called to like be on a panel or do some other thing, um, I I take pause and kind of weigh the sort of why I need to probably be at mm. the social thing, you know? Um, so that's something yeah, that I'm totally. paying closer attention to because uh, we need that stuff, you know? We, we actually really do need to have those moments that aren't all about doing, 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 you know? And, and are that aren't all about, 
working. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like, I mean, that was actually one of the questions that I had, especially like you being uh, a public figure, you know, your face is out there, your voice is out there, Mm -hmm. your, your, like your artistry is out there. And Mm -hmm. I think also, I mean, I don't know, do you find that there's, there's an extra pressure to that because, because people know you as your professional persona, there might be some projection put onto you as being like this leader one this artist that you aren't when you're at home one thousand (laughs) like (laughs) a thousand Um, percent yeah a thousand percent i i I don't know that i've well i was gonna say i don't know that i felt that projection necessarily as my uh broadcaster role but i i can't say no i have to a certain degree but in terms of music and being a woman in hip hop culture and being in this oh band, we're only two women in this band. I mean, we, I yeah. see it as so cool. I was definitely jamming to, to the massive this morning at 7 30 a.m. I was. Oh, thank I'm you. I'm in my day pajamas and I was, I was jamming. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely, I, myself and, and Miriam Sassy, she's the other woman in the group. I think we both, definitely um receive that kind of of yeah expectation projection from other people from women um who you know can sometimes think that we are standing in for them right and and to a certain degree you you relate and you understand Mm -hmm. that and part of our part they're in part what we're doing is um is about is about taking up that space right but it can become it can become very very complicated and i think in general that's just a part of the culture that we live in 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 north america like as soon as people become public we we've decided that we know them we've decided that we know their personality we know their values and all of that so crazy and then when they disappoint us um we are not forgiving right and and we that's a reflection on them and not on the mm-hmm. image that we've put mm-hmm. on to them and and the lines are so blurry right like people people have been talking about this a lot in the arts like separating the artist from their art is is very tricky and and depending on what your art is and how you present it and how you create it some people find you know, some people definitely hide behind an excuse of like, oh, it's a persona that I'm putting on type of thing. Um, so I get it. It's really yeah. complicated. Uh, but um, I, I, I'm very like, I don't like the, Id- the idol culture. Like, I don't believe in, in creating mm. idols and, and idolizing people in, in general. Like, I appreciate if people mm-hmm. are inspired um, or encouraged by me, but um, I'm weary of people who hold hold people up on these huge pedestals um, beyond their contribution to the collective imagination. Like beyond that, <laughs> it's very tricky. Um, yeah. So yeah, you kind of we I do, yeah we definitely feel that that pressure and and that definition. And then on the other side, around being a broadcaster. Um, and being a black woman as a broadcaster, 
working for not just a broadcaster, but working for the national broadcaster. Um, yeah, you know, seriously. I, I know people, I know, I know people in, in black communities really value that, you know, and, and, and they tell, and not just black people, people tell me a lot, like we, we, we're with you, we follow you, we see what you're doing, we hear you and we, we appreciate you. And then some people go so far as like, and we need you and we, we need you to be there and, mm. and that kind of stuff, which is an, you know, it's a compliment, but there's an indirect pressure there because <laughs> what if I'm like, okay, I want to so don't leave. let us down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everything that you're holding up and everything that you're carrying and sometimes the external pressure, did you find that in being a mom, like the desire to slow down, does that, does a lot of it come from being a mom in a way? And you're, you also have this little life that you have to <laughs> nurture and make lunch for. And like. well, um, it's funny because my son has been in like my hectic music life ever since he was born. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and uh, he's a so, cute. Oh, thank say. you. Thank you. Uh, so he's been in that mix and so he he's definitely knows how to pack a suitcase. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, I think in some of those moments I would always, uh, question like, Oh, is this the appropriate thing to be bringing a five-year-old on a tour and sleeping in these hotels and bringing him backstage and, <laughs> <laughs> and finding mm-hmm. babysitters and, and we're in, across the ocean, you know, but, uh, yeah. So in those moments I would want to say like, Oh, maybe I need to pull back from, from my, from this aspect of my life and really focus on, on mothering in the, in the sort of, uh, I don't want to say tradi- I guess traditional or, you know, more status quo way. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, I, I, yeah, I definitely, it's like an up and down feeling of the desire to slow down. Like for me, the, my whole need to slow down is definitely about conserving energy and having a lot of, a lot more energy and therefore, yeah, more energy to be able to care for him, uh, better. And also to just do be yeah. better in general, like be be healthier, be healthy in my mind and body and spirit, like be healthier with the way I do my work, like just to have more room. We were talking about feeling, you know, that restlessness and and the mind being blurry, you know, when you're restless in that way. And I definitely feel the need to slow down as a, as a response to, to clear up that kind of stuff. And therefore I, my mothering could be better, you know? It's, it's, but it's a constant for me, it's like a, it's an up and down. Yeah. It's an up and down feeling, you know, and you can get it's stuck. an everyday, isn't it? it's an everyday. Yeah. It's an everyday thing. And I have such a habit of existing in this way. You know, I've lived yeah. like this for a very long time, you know, prior to my son and now with my son. So it's what I know. It's so funny. I was, I was actually, um, coming from uh, a show, we did a show, our first show last week. Um, oh wow! Yeah, we did a show outside oh. at, at the University of Montreal. They live streamed it, 
Uh, there was no audience, but it was an amazing, amazing experience just to be able to do a show in that way and live, you know, like not, a, not a recorded yeah. thing, although the recording thing, we're grateful for those opportunities too. So that's always a good thing. But uh, I was, yeah. you know, Miriam and I were talking about, you know, staying up on our craft and developing our skills as writers and, and going back to some of the things that we used to do before we got extremely busy with touring. Um and uh, what she said to me was, she's like, I got to give you a deadline because she she wants me to work with her on something. And she's like, I'm going to give you a deadline so then you can go straight to the studio um, and, and just write while you're there because you're used to being under pressure. Like you're used to working in that yeah. way. You know, That's really what it's been. It's been like that for at yeah. least 10 out of the 15 years. You know, in the first five years, it's true. I would be walking down the street and write in my book and just write some lines in my book and just, you know, hold on to them for when eventually I, I've completed a verse or completed a song. But then for the last 10 years, it's just been like, okay, we got to get this out. We got to do this, or here's a track and we need to send it by this time. And, and so I've been working that way. And so I think like all of, all of my need to slow down is to try to like reset my practice, you know, and reset everything, my, all mm -hmm. of my practices. Um, as a mother, as a writer, as an MC, as a journalist, like I just need that right now for sure. And do you find that you like this time, the lockdown and, you know, things have been slower and um, maybe not less work generated, but I feel like there's more uh, of a forgiveness globally for work, not always happening and not always being yeah. on and maybe more incubation time for work. So do you feel like that's helped you slow down? Um, and like you, you mentioned when we started that you've been working from home as well. You've been recording from home sometimes daybreak, yeah. I think it was. Mike. Yeah. And so so I, I, even I, just mm -hmm. like the commute, like, mm -hmm. yeah. So has, have, has that given you the opportunity, like a forced break in a way? Mm, uh, or not <laughs> you know what yes and no um yes and no I think yeah because we had to make these very quick adjustments to how do we work from home um especially for the kind of stuff that I'm doing um interviewing artists and and telling stories with various voices and things like that um, just the mm -hmm. technology part, just like getting the technology down <laughs> was cumbersome. Like yeah. that, 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 added another, that was another task. Um, but then once I got a routine going, like it was, it was even great to know that my, my bosses were like, okay, we got to lift something off of your plate because I was doing radio. So doing the bridge, doing daybreak, but I also did television and um, oh my god yeah and so that wasn't looking realistic for a while especially because <laughs> arts and culture was at the mercy of you know it was hard to tell the arts and culture yeah. stories without uh, on television in a way that would be compelling so so at least yeah. that was sort of there wasn't this expectation of of you got to keep up on all on all the things like get all the things that that was that was a relief you know and uh that our leaders were paying attention to that kind of stuff. And so that did create more room. So I found myself, you know, just stopping at times, which I wouldn't do necessarily at work, 
but like literally stopping like, okay, that's done. I'm not going to move on to the next thing. I'm actually going to get up and walk away from this screen mm. <laughs> and go sit on the balcony. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And every every five minutes was helping. Like every little, you know, five minute that I could was just, was just really helping me. So yeah, there, there are some aspects of the slowdown that has been helpful, but I realized that I was probably have been operating on, on burnout for a while. So the slowdown also made me feel like, oh, like, I'm not do I can't do anything right now because I'm so oh, tired. Yeah. Like, I'm tired in my mind. I'm tired yeah. in my body, you know? And in addition, the, yeah. the, the tiredness was being um amplified by all the stuff that's been happening uh during this time. All the stuff. All the stuff. <laughs> all the stuff. Yeah. It's interesting what you were saying at the beginning, like in the past few years you've been examining your energy levels and how you know where you're affected by the shifts in the moon the moon cycles you know all that mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and i find that um i don't know maybe you feel this way too but like in a slowdown in a slowdown especially at the beginning when nobody really knew what was going on and there was maybe a little bit more time to be had at home that like we kind of get back to basics and we start mm-hmm. feeding ourselves food that our body actually wants and not like not junk. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like just mm-hmm. like more mm-hmm. healing foods and like just getting in touch with our sleep cycles and being like, Oh wow. No, I actually need eight to nine hours. Yes. Or, I yeah. need to have this conversation with my friend or I need to sit at like, we kind of like turn inwards and definitely as opposed to being like oh i i need to be out and working i need to be at the forefront of all of the things happening i need to and then like we've turned in and gone back to like super simple simple basic stuff and then like getting out of bed becomes a task (laughs) i mean i wish i could i wish that i could have experienced it in that way the way you just described it i mean i definitely (laughs) I couldn't because I didn't stop. There was no real pause. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe my 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 intensity was less intense than yours, probably. But there was yeah. no real pause in the work because uh, I was still having to deliver, you know, for CBC. Yeah, and then also, and then my son was at home doing grade one. Like, so we would we turned into grade one teachers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and I'm. And I have, I'm in, I'm a, I'm in the sandwich generation. So I have an elderly parent that I care for. So some, yeah. been, some, but, but again, um, there were, they have been, there have been, there are for me considering what my life usually is and how my life usually runs. Like, it's funny. Um, my partner, and I think I heard you say this once in, in one of your episodes of the podcast during this pandemic, you said like, you don't think you've ever spent this much time with your partner as you are spending now, right? In, oh, yeah. We, we live together. <laughs> yeah. With a capital L. That's it. <laughs> so my partner was like, uh, kind of taken aback to see how much, um, how much work I am often doing like I uh. outside of so there's my work 
at CBC, there is my music work, which really runs like a, like we run as a business. Like we have, we have now officially made our meeting times on WhatsApp. Like we have about six different groups (laughs) on our one WhatsApp. They're all us. It's all us. It's all us, the same people, but we're talking about different things. And so we, we realized that we couldn't overlap. So like there's a WhatsApp about finance, there's a WhatsApp about touring, there's a WhatsApp (laughs) about creative, there's a WhatsApp (laughs) about everything. Um, And so that's where we have conversations and meetings. Um, and, uh, and many of the time, like there's no, we can't let time lapse on that. Like you can't miss, like you got to stay up on it because a lot of the times we're needing to respond to requests from our, from our label and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then other conversations, you know, people will call me and ask, you know, they're whatever they need to engage with me about something in community or whatever it is. And I had started to make my, I tell people like, yeah, 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 my office hours are while I'm in transit. So I would, well, I'd have to be getting to work for about 10 o'clock. So I tell people, they're like, oh, can I give you a call at a certain time? I'm like, yep, between 7.30 and 9.30. That's the best time. Oh my God. Yeah. So that was what I was doing before the pandemic. And he didn't really witness any of those things. Or sometimes some people would, we would literally meet up for a meeting um, unrelated to either one of my jobs and for something else, a, another project uh, uh, that uh, somebody wants me yeah. to engage with or just wants to bounce ideas off of. And so that would be a meeting, you know, at like nine somewhere, that type of thing. And none of that was happening in the same way anymore, but it was still happening. So he was witnessing all of that, even how people were engaging with, you know, the Black Lives Matter stuff. Uh, a lot of people, yeah just wanted to talk you know some people wanted to talk we expressed their frustration other people wanted to find ways to help uh, in the city or get ideas of how to do for themselves how to improve or whatever so these were conversations that sometimes most times I would have had some of them in my office hours <laughs> while traveling on the bus or on the metro um but now they were happening while I was at home so he 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 was taken aback by that he was really like whoa whoa like I didn't realize. I think he said it to me. He's like, I didn't, I didn't realize there was such a demand. How hard you work. Nantali. Yeah. yeah. You're like, you're amazing. But I'm just like feeling a little breathless at the moment. No, but seriously, like, and you're, and you know, you're doing all of this and all of it is like, is outward energy. You know what I mean? Like you're an artist out there expressing yourself and then you're a broadcaster out there. People know your face. They know your name. They know your voice. Like it's all out, out, yeah. out, yeah. outward energy. So that's a lot. Yeah. That's a that's a lot to be contending with. And then on top of it, like you say, people wanted to want to talk to you as a community leader about what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement. The riots that are going on in the yeah. states, the yeah. the protests that we had here in Canada. Um, mm. How did you, how did you move through all that? Mm. I, I was uh, very contained, um, but I was feeling uh, just heavy. There are a few people in community yeah. who, you know, we kind of checked in on each other. Uh, once in a while, because I think 
and I'm talking about the people who I know who've been on the ground doing the work for a long time, like before, before George Floyd and before a whole bunch of things have happened and, and doing the work here in, in, in Montreal and in Canada. So we were checking in on each other here and there. Cause I think we were all feeling that kind of exhaustion. It's so funny. Like while I'm speaking of this, what I have in the back of my head is she called me community leader. How do I feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Well, why. see, maybe this is my projection, right? Maybe it's this so is me funny. like projecting that onto you. A friend of mine but, said to me that I Yeah, have, how do you how do you feel about that? I never I just I uh I I just I don't like uh, labels, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I I understand yeah. that people see me and hear me as a voice. I don't like to position myself as a community leader. I just like to do the work and um, right. and whatever that work is, you know. So f- I miss some of the on-the-ground work that I was doing while I, when I first started off at CBC. I, I do less and less of that, like in community but um, and in schools in particular. But, uh, but yes, somehow it's, it's people... It's people it's not you were not the first person to say that to me so but I try not to that's not what I'm trying to project like I'm not trying to be any kind of yeah trying to to contribute in that way but uh yeah you're just doing yeah yeah so you're just doing the work like you say yeah yeah whatever that whatever that work um is and now I'm I'm distracted by what that question was um well, I was just asking how you were contending with all of oh right the yeah. the yeah, racial so stuff that was going exactly. on and yeah, so I think I was um uh, the exhaustion I was feeling really had to do with uh how long all of this continues and goes on, not the killings, but just the work of, of repeating oneself, you know? And, uh, I remember when, um, when Mike Brown was killed, there was a similar kind Mm -hmm. of reaction, uh, in Montreal and, and in Canada, it wasn't around the world, like the George Floyd murder was, but it, I didn't hear it in the same way anyways around the world, but it definitely had an impact here in Montreal. And I remember, wanting um, people who were definitely doing, you know, the kind of community grassroots work to be able to articulate why we connected so much with that um, incident, uh, those of us who are Black Canadians, um, because I wanted people to be able to say, uh, and a friend of mine, we talked about this a lot, Rowan Higgins, um, she's an amazing um poet and spoken word artist, but also community activist and, and worker. Um, we talked about just like the work that people have been doing on the ground to hold up uh, young Black people in particular and to just, it's almost like Band-Aid work, like to just keep them feeling good about themselves through the smallest of things, like going to a community picnic <laughs> like the Vincentian Association <laughs> but, but just experiences mm-hmm. that would 
keep them in a, you know, feeling good about themselves as individuals and then themselves as members of black communities. Um, all of that work gets chipped away at every time a person who might look like them or look like their relative or their father or their mother is harmed, you know, violently and for no reason. Um, uh, and is, and is made public like that. Like that's like pulling us back. You know what I mean? Like, all the people mm-hmm. who are constantly having to build the pedagogy, the curriculums for Black History Month, all those people, every time that they have to go back into a school to r- explain a whole bunch of, it's like nothing felt like it was moving forward in any way, you know? Yeah. And and that's where the exhaustion yeah. was, I think, for myself and for so many other people. It was just this constant repetition. And then that makes people... Um, it's beyond skeptical. Like it makes you sort of feel like, well, we just give up on this, you know, and we just give up like, or you think you want to give up, you know, you can't, you know, you don't want to, but, and then it started to amplify because the conversations moved away from these conversations about how to deal with this moved away from the people in my most inner circles and, and the community of, of, uh, activists or workers that I knew and went into my workplace because that is what was the most different thing that I think that happened mm. post George Floyd is that all, not only did it resonate around the world, um, Black Lives Matter, but then we start to look at violence against Black bodies beyond uh, police violence. And what what does that look like in every single institution and sphere? And that became an exhausting I think that was more exhausting than than thinking about another person was killed or more people were being killed and, and harmed in this way uh, by law enforcement. It was just the like every white lady who wanted to talk to me. You know, that was a lot. They turned to you to kind of what to do. In some ways, feel, yeah, tell them what to do, like find out like what is the reality, you know, and it was what CBC has been doing, I think has been very public compared to maybe other news outlets. Um, and that, that's, that's as a result of people calling out the CBC, really. Uh, and so, so there's constant work internally um, to address all of these things, but it's colossal, like it's huge. And, and I've just been saying, repeating um, in every opportunity that I get, whenever we are having these conversations at work on how to move forward and how to change and best practices or whatever, I just keep stressing um, deconditioning. Like what has to be understood at, at mm-hmm. the base level is that we've been conditioned. You know, <laughs> we've been conditioned. Um, pe- people th- have addressed conditioning when we talk about sexism and misogyny and whatnot. But I don't think there's enough of like very explicit discourse in this broader conversation, in this big conversation rather that we're having like outside of academic circles or outside of, um, you know, the groups where this discourse already exists and has been living for a long time. I don't feel like there's enough that breaks down um, the conditioning that... um, people of color, racialized people have been living through and, and non-racialized or white people have been living through. It's happening bit by bit, you know, like, uh, 
in in some expressions, I think it exists. Like, you know, like I'm thinking of podcasts like 1619 and I haven't even read White Fragility, so I don't know what how it's addressed there. But it needs to be way more consistent, more often, because that's what we're currently dealing with is that you have to understand how did we get here to be able to understand how do we change it. And of course, racialized people know how we got there, how we got here. Marginalized people, whoever you are that's been outside, like pushed out and is, you know, farthest to the to the margins um, for whatever reason, like they they understand the conditioning because they have to deal with it and live through it. But now the greater society also needs to understand that conditioning. And that's a process that's going to take a very long time. And I think sometimes people want to jump the gun because they want to fix something, you know, they want to, maybe sometimes they want to feel good. Like we did this, we did it, you know? Uh, and I think that <laughs> yeah. always has to, <laughs> that has to be, that has to be checked all the time um, through this process, you know? Yeah. It's uh and like you say, it's such a colossal, um, it's going to take such a long time because if every individual, if every like non-marginalized and not, and non, um, racialized person looks inside and looks at their own unconscious bias and their own um, privilege. And if everybody does that, it's going to take years. And if everybody <laughs> does it and gets, a, you know, gets kind of like uppity and offended by it, then That's it's going to take it. even more years. That is and it. it's, it's doing therapy on oneself with mm-hmm. oneself. Mm-hmm. And for the for the for the greater good yeah (laughs) and not everyone is prepared to do that yeah and that's so that has to happen at the at the like the micro level and then at the the macro level level, things have to change but people run the macro level you know what i mean like it's individuals who work institutions who shape how those institutions operate so those people who are doing the work within for them to change the whatever, policies, systems, et cetera, et cetera, their micro work has to speed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Their, yeah, micro, work, yeah, exactly. their micro work has to it's amplify time. very, like it has to speed up, you know, very, very quickly. Otherwise, we won't actually see um, considerable change. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Look at how long they had to consider you know, aspects of the Indian Act. Um, look how long it took to get to, I mean, and Truth and Reconciliation, the most recent commission, it, that commission happened before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those kinds of commissions, yeah. those, kind, those yeah. things happened before. And still, it's only in 2020 do we hear an RCMP um, officer say, yes, that there has been systemic racism in the RCMP and indigenous people have been at the receiving end of that. Like, how do we not know this already? (laughs) And the abuse still isn't stopping. Absolutely not. You know, know, there's just that recently that Atikamea woman that was. Yes. Joyce Escalon. Abused, neglected and died. Yeah. And it's because we are not looking at the source of we're looking at we're we're just looking at the I don't know if it's if it's the yeah we're looking at the symptoms but we're not actually looking at the 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 where is the sickness like where 
is the virus yeah. really? Uh, you know, we're not, people talk about police and whatnot. Um, I read a great article the other day uh, that was addressing, you know, it's about education. How does society <laughs> make sure to not educate young white men in particular to be violent and to be racist, <laughs> period, and sexist? Yeah. Like, that's, you know, the, 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 the writer pointed to, you know, why isn't Bill Gates putting millions of dollars towards programs that stop anti-racist behavior? Like, why, how did you mm -hmm. get people who commit these horrible crimes? Forget the police, regular citizens who show up and shoot up people at a, at a church after they pray for you. Yeah. How do we not... How are we not looking at, forget the mental health of just that individual, Go scroll back mm -hmm. to the path that was paved for that individual mm -hmm. within the greater community. Um, these are the things that we need to talk about. That's where the virus is. So, and we're not doing that. We're just trying to quickly, I just, maybe too much of it is about feel good. You know, too much of it is about, we need to answer. We need to respond. We need to. And it, it isn't so much a real thought out, how do we make sure to not repeat? Yeah. So the, these are, these are longstanding things and we have to, we have to, we have to pace ourselves, you know, people of color, especially it, marginalized people, racialized people have been pacing themselves through life. You know, um, we have no choice. We're like people who are, who don't have, privilege or to have less and less privilege um, has have to pace themselves, especially just to be able to survive. And we don't necessarily see it. We don't see how they pace themselves. Um, so we assume that everything's a-okay. And now um, the majority society who, who are mostly white people have to pace themselves through this as well. You know? Mm-hmm. I think out of all of these interviews that I've done in uh, in the recent past, mm. the the theme that keeps coming up from the people that I've been speaking to is is the idea. I mean, it, you put it in into really good terms. You you talked about it. it it's all we're all too feel good. Like mm -hmm. now it's time for everybody to be decentralized and disenfranchised in a way so wow. that we can stop, you know, trying to feel better about it and performing and, yeah. perf you know, performing activism. And it's just, and making ourselves feel good by what we've done. It's more about being uncomfortable and being That's okay fun. with sitting in that discomfort. 100%. 100%. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, I think the challenge around that is about what, uh, what ultimately do we lose in all of this? Uh, that's the thing that people are not right. truly yeah. talking about. The question is, uh, what is that? What is at stake? What what will we lose when we actually sit with this and 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 think about concrete, effective, longstanding change? We lose a lot. I, I was just on a panel um, hosted by the Montreal Holocaust Museum and the Siegel Center 
moderated by Mike Payette, talking about anti-Black racism and and addressing that in the space of arts and culture in particular. Um, and there were some very, very interesting uh, panel, other panelists with us. And what we were really getting at is that that's, the fear is about what is what people will lose when they say step back and sit in this discomfort. You know, I think some people think their discomfort yeah. is about like, oh my gosh, we saw a man get killed on a video. Uh, it's not the first one. It isn't the first one. Yeah, when you knew when we knew the context of Philando Castro's murder, his child, mm-hmm. his child, mm-hmm. and his partner mm. were next to him mm. when he was executed. Mm. I like there is no comparison of these deaths. All of these deaths have been senseless and horrible. But like, what I'm trying to say is that we have many opportunities to feel as outraged. You know, um, yeah. So I think what it is that people are really feeling at their gut is, is a, oh, when have I been racist? When have I mm-hmm. had my cult- my, um, my um, unconscious bias uh, show up? When have I heard and been in, in the space where unacceptable behavior or unacceptable statement was said and I didn't speak out and I didn't stand up? When have I sort of indirectly uh, judged someone? Um, When have I reduced the experience and the identity of a person of color? Uh, All that stuff is really where the discomfort lies. And then it means all the things that we were told, all the stories that we were told are going to be changed now. You know, they're going to be changed. Yeah. The stories, literally, the books, the plays, all of that stuff is going to be, is going to be re, um, has to be reconsidered uh, as a result yeah. of this because all of it has been framed from the Eurocentric perspective, right? And especially from the Western, the Western perspective. And so all of a sudden, I, I was listening to um, uh, Unreserved. We there's a new host, um, Fallon Johnson. She's the new host of Unreserved, mm-hmm. and she interviewed uh, Tracy Deer about Tracy's newest mm-hmm. film um, about the Oka crisis, and from the perspective of a child who, who is who was Tracy um, and Fallon. That means yes. Yeah, she asked an amazing question because Fallon is an Indigenous person and so is Tracy. So the conversation was already anchored in a different space, right? These two Indigenous people talking about this, about this historic moment. And she said, it's so interesting to watch how the outside world, so people outside of Mohawk community um, were, were, were looking at what was going on. She said, even the way it is mediatized it's called the oka crisis for everybody else who isn't indigenous basically you know she said from Mm. our side we at one point for there were so many she listed all these different names for it from the perspective of the indigenous communities to the point where it was actually called the war at times right so that's that 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 question and that was perfect i think that's a perfect example to get to, to understand what we're experiencing now, the framing is shifting, it's changing, and that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's no longer from 
entitled and from well it still is but it's it's shifting like you say from the white lens and from the you know the person that writes the history or the the headlines yeah 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 yeah. and and the the thing is is that more and more conversation has to be have about specifically that that in fact it was framed from somebody's perspective and why that's where the conversations all have to happen why was this the way? Why did this happen like this? I think if we don't do that work to go back in all of our spaces to really get a clear understanding, not just an understanding of it, um, but a way to communicate that back to the general population. So be it as a teacher in, in the classroom, whatever classroom at whatever grade level, be it in, in, you know, the legal community, be it in the artistic and cultural community. And I think arts, arts, the arts have been doing this, you know, slowly, but surely in many ways, um, just because that's, that's the role of, of the artists. Right. But the institutions I think have been Mm -hmm. responding perhaps to it a little bit more quickly than, than other institutions. I just, just, I'm just making it, I'm thinking of like the NFB. The NFB partnering partnering with the APTN to go back and look at yeah. the 300 yeah. films that they have done over time, uh, telling so-called stories of Indigenous peoples in this country and looking back to see with what lens those stories were told and if and where was the unconscious bias obvious and where was the information therefore inaccurate or unbalanced and how could they reframe those films if not don't even put them out anymore that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's real. That is where the real work lies, you know, in those kinds of actions. Yeah. At the Hollywood Foreign Press um, to like, I think they're insta- they're instating this in 2024, maybe. But mm. in order to be an Oscar contender, you have to have a certain amount of either uh, the story has to tell the story of a POC or a BIPOC. Mm-hmm. Um, you or, or there has to be something like half, ha- these are not the right numbers, so don't quote me on this, but mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of people that have to be working on set. Uh, the story has to revolve around a BIPOC, uh, disabled person, woman, woman of color, um, mm. in order to be, you know, so there's all these criteria put in place in order to be um, an Oscar contender. And, it, you know, that could be, you know, it could be a little bit of, performance Mm -hmm. uh, again but I think it also I think it's I think it's huge because you know this is like the Hollywood foreign press this is the films that people the blockbuster films that people pay big money to go see Mm -hmm. um you know it's what we what we're streaming and I just think that it's 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 a step in the right direction for stories to change and for people to be able to identify with with someone else with you know with themselves on screen and, representation. And, and some people are going to feel that that's extreme. I think, and this is the other yeah. part of the process. <laughs> that's like, a, it's, you say a step, that's a leap, right? Hence it feels yeah, yeah, for, for like, that world, it's yeah. like a huge jump. And so some people are going to say like, well, come on, like how many of these stories really exist, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's what, that is what is happening. Like we're going to see some very um, pushback, you know, Put, like some pushback to some of these choices in all spheres when when more people of color are going to get hired at whatever place um everyone is going to yeah. you know there there will be the there will be the group of of eye rollers 
Um, there will be the group of people who are going to say, oh, well, that's just tokenism. Uh, and so I think all parties involved need to be prepared for that, need to know that. Mm -hmm. And then and then we move back to trying to get to a balanced um, center because it's about normalizing experience. Like it's about we cannot lead with, oh, this is a racialized person like this is a person and they're racialized. Yeah. They're event that's what we're trying to get to. We, we need to get to just yeah. this is humanity. My best friend. Um, and I talk about this all the time. <laughs> and she, she, you know, there, she, it's so funny because she, she calls, she sends me a text. She says, I have things to discuss, <laughs> you know, and then I know, and then I know we have, we have a like, hour here we go. Coming, you know? I'm like, all right. I'm like, yep. And I call, you know, like there's not even a response. I just call yeah. and she shares, um, she shares all these thoughts and ideas that that are really, really powerful. But one of the things she was saying is that I've she's always been feeling quite challenged with um, getting fully on board with this with Black Lives Matter as a movement and and having to sort of mm -hmm. push for that because she feels an exhaustion of having to explain like I'm a human being too, like <laughs> you know just yeah. Just that, like, how is it that, how is it? And we, we say this all the time, treat others as you want to be treated. I was speaking to another person who's, when I, I had mentioned that in another uh, podcast that I'd done, and she just thought that I was being so reductive. Like, she just thought, like, that's so kumbaya to think that way. I was like, is it, or is it just radical? Because who likes to get punched in the face? No one. <laughs> Seriously. And I just bring it. I just bring it down to that. Like, if you don't want to be punched in the face, do not punch in the face. Don't punch somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's simple. Yeah. It's just as simple as it is. Um, and I think that that is the that's part of how uh, how we approach some of this change. That that I think people have to think as simply as that. Like if you don't want to get it, if you don't want to be hurt, if you don't want to be excluded, and that's what's happening is that is that other people are feeling like, oh, I'm getting, I'm I'm now getting uh, uh, becoming um, I don't know victimized, or I'm now uh, potentially at risk of something, and that's that that has more to do with the COVID uh, part of what we've been living than the race stuff. But that I think those experiences living well, through I the think pandemic. That's also but that's white fragility too. Oh, for it? sure. Like for sure. But, yeah. For sure. But that finally there's more, there's now a critical mass of, of fragile white people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and COVID. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. COVID, COVID has helped to expose the fragility. Um, and well, yeah. Well, that's something that, that um, Sandy Hudson, who's the, mm -hmm. like the BLM, Canadian instigator, basically. Um, yeah. She said that the pandemic has brought people out into the streets. There's more, a more time to reflect and participate. And also, like globally, everyone is affected. I mean, yeah. even though, you know, we know people of color are and and marginalized people are, are more greatly affected mm -hmm. by it. But it is, you know, it's a virus that's reaching everybody of all class, of all economic um it's, it's like tearing out the roots. Well, tearing out the things. roots, but it's it's showing the fractures, the huge fractures in a capitalist system. Like 
Yeah. Oh my God. And and it only makes sense that the the racialized part of it, the race reckoning or whatever we want to call that, that that part is directly linked because capitalism in North America and in the West, you know, was founded. <laughs> like racism is a tool mm-hmm. of capitalism, right? If we if we go mm-hmm. back to the African yep. slave trade, like that's that's how we were able to we. That's how wealth has been acquired on this side of the Atlantic um, and, 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 and in Europe. And so, and then just kept giving fuel to other ways of, of building capitalism in, in through exploitative um, measures and techniques and all of it exploiting human beings and, and most of the time exploiting the people with the darkest of complexions. So so I think it's all part and parcel and um, and we just need to con- like have nonstop conversations about that. The, the, the foot has to stay on the gas, you know? I've read that you've, you've said that one of the things that you want to do is to push conversations forward to a place where positive inspiration becomes positive action. And mm-hmm. so apart from this conversation, what are yeah. the other conversations that you're having right now? Or what are the conversations that you don't want to be having right now? Uh, I don't want to. Well, I definitely don't want to have. Oh, man, that's a great question. What are the conversations that I don't want to have? Hmm. Well, I certainly don't want to explain what racism is to anybody at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And any of those kinds of conversations that, that circular, I also, you know, actually I was on a panel um, during the Bishop's Forum which is like a civic uh, type of civic studies um, event that they put on at the university every year. And um, there's, I don't know, all of it is around civic duties, political science, et cetera, et cetera. And I was on a panel with Balarama Holness and Akila Newton. We were talking about, um, you know, our, our experiences as, as, Black um, Quebecers and in the line of work that each of us do respectively. And there was a question by a student about trying to understand um, a little bit deeper some things around systemic racism. And I remember the question around um, the overpopulation of black and indigenous people in prisons. And and he he was speaking to Canada in particular. And he said, well, is it just, is it not just that like these people are criminals and they have to go to jail? Like those, those people who are in the jail, they are criminals and therefore they need to go to jail, you know? And, you know, it, it was hard to answer that question because part of me felt like oh boy and this is a young mind like this is a young mind already Mm. looking at it like from that perspective so where was the information Mm. 
leading up to this young mind getting to university, what kind of information had this person been receiving? And the fact that this was also a racialized person um, was, was, was Mm. disheartening for me. We answered the question. We answered the question and I think we answered it like collectively well, really well. Um, But I know my inner feeling was just like, Oh God, (laughs) you know, you know what I, I don't mean? want to be having this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Not for avoidance reasons, just for like this, the work, the work just uh, was another, you know, signpost to how much of the work is is necessary. Um, yeah. The conversations that I do want to have is about real steps. Um, so... I want people to say like, okay, we've been looking at the history, first of all, like we've been looking at the conditioning and how we got to this point in our work. It could be as small as like our theater company. I got a wonderful email. Here's a perfect example. I got a wonderful email from the Quebec Writers Federation and Mm -hmm. uh, from the president of the Quebec Writers Federation. And it was very thoughtful uh around the question of um diversity and also holding themselves accountable and i wasn't expecting it because i don't really have that much engagement with the quebec writers federation other than in my role with cbc as recently i was i was on a on a panel in there in a series that they're doing with black artists which was so exciting like i, I was so honored to be in that panel but I don't have a constant engagement with them to be sort of looking at what are they doing and what are the programs. And I don't have any experience with them in that way. But in the email, you know, there was a consciousness to mention kind of like, you know, and please, we, we, we want to know where, basically, where have we had our blind spots? You know, where have we misstepped or misspoke or whatever? And I think for some people, maybe who know the QWF maybe better, they that might make them feel like, oh, is this performance or not? I don't know. I'm not saying that they that 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 they've been. I don't know if they've been, you know, what they've been like over the years. But just that kind of that kind of acknowledgement. I want people to come to the table and say, like, so this is what we looked at within our organization, our institution, whatever it is. And this is what we saw. And when we did this, that was wrong. That was racist. That was sexist. That was ableist. That was whatever. And now we're we're looking at how to how to correct and move forward in a way that doesn't repeat those kinds of things and that widens, you know, that opens up more space for more people to come through. You know, and I think mm-hmm. immigrant theater is a great example of how that can work, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and individuals like that, like it's there. We have models, we have things happening that people are conscious of of all of this stuff, and they're trying to in their little in the smallest of ways. And I think that's the other thing is I want to have conversations about the small things. It, it, we can't do the grandiose things, and it's a small thing yeah. with respect to wherever you are, like the work we're, you're doing. There's the, like you mentioned, the work that individuals have to do for themselves, but even institutions, yeah. there are small things. There are very small things that, that you could do, you know, <laughs> there, it doesn't yeah. have to be the big, like, haul over thing. Like, it, it has to just, it just has to be, a, yeah. it has to be small. Every day, 
every just day. Voila. It has to be every day. It has to happen every day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Habits. Habit. Yes. Healthy, healthy habit healthy forming. Habits. That's it. That's perfect. Yeah. Now tell me, at the moment, um, what's what's the if you have the time or otherwise, um, what's the culture at the moment that you're consuming? Are there any, is there any music, TV, podcasts, oh, oh. art, visual art? What, what are you, what are you out of delight consuming at the moment? <laughs> um, I'm always consuming music, like always. I, I, I'm listening to music as soon as I, I mean, as soon as I leave the house and have dropped my son off, I'm listening to music all the way. Like, that's all the time. So I'm consuming um, – I found a great mix just yesterday, actually, <laughs> on Spotify. I found a great mix called Bomba Guy, which is the name of one of our singles um, from our recent album. Mm-hmm. And it's called Bomba Guy Radio, and it just has – it has, like, a whole bunch of Quebec – and Canadian artists on it, but also like amazing oh, music sweet. from everywhere around the world. Like I, it's on repeat. I love it. I love it. Like I want it to blow up. Well, like I, I posted it about it. I shared it. <laughs> it's so good. Like the music is, is just great music. Really. I mean, music that I love anyway. Awesome. Um, yeah, I definitely love, I like movies. So I try to, you know, I try to watch, Things. I just started catching back up on This Is Us. I had stopped watching it for a while. I yeah, <laughs> so I'm just catching up. But I devoured I May Destroy You. I devoured it. Yeah, that's I, on my list to that oh, one. Oh, yeah. so okay, good. Nicole. So good. So good. Mm-hmm. Um and uh you mentioned visual arts, and I've been consuming visual arts via Instagram with artists, um, illustrators, painters uh, who just catch my attention. And I've been very slowly starting to really actually collect uh, people's work and buy buy art um, that's affordable for me um, (laughs) from some of these artists. Is there anyone in particular that Uh, you're looking at? Well, I've already... like I, it started with buying the artwork of a music producer who's also a visual artist, and um, this is the wife of Witch Prophet, actually. So Witch Prophet is a great, is a great uh, Toronto-based artist, and their partner, yes, is Sun Sun, um, and Sun Sun has been. Um, they've they've got like they've got like a a collective a musical collective but sun sun is also a, an illustrator and a and a and an art and a painter and has been doing these more she they were doing these morning drawings um and just getting back to that practice and then posting them so i just i was seeing the post and i just thought oh i really like these i love the message of you know and i just loved I love the practice. So Sun Sun Art 503. It started with me getting a piece of work, like one of those, one of these drawings that you're seeing. Um, and I get, I plan to get more. Uh, and then I got uh, Faya, Faya Bruja, who is, who is a friend from, from, 
from Montreal, uh, who's now based in Toronto. So visual artist, also an actress and and um, theater performer, Jilda. And oh my so, God, are you talking about? Are you are I'm you talking, talking about, about um, Jilda Montreal? Jilda Montreal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I no have no way. Two. Yeah, I she's have... the. So you, I think she's yeah, she's performed. She's performed here in Montreal. Like I think she was in. Um... Yeah, I was in the show with her. Was it the Refugee Hotel? What was that called? That piece with the uh, Tisri. Uh, that... It was Unity nineteen eighteen. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Many years ago. Yeah. So so I yeah. bought two of Jilda's paintings um, as prints uh, just recently. Um, and uh, I'm getting a commissioned piece from a really cool uh, artist named Teen Adult. And I love, 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 love how they create. So I commissioned a work, a, a different take on a family portrait of the women in my life, um, the women of my family who, oh. who raised me. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, amazing. I'm looking at teen adult right now. It's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah right. So a couple, yeah. And so slowly, yeah. surely I'm just, you know, I like Nick Brofkin is a great illustrator and artist that I like as well. Visual artist that I like. So I'm just slowly, um, kind of collecting, but just local people, like very much local people for now. Instagram has turned into a kind of art gallery museum for me. <laughs> a positive place yes yeah 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 yeah. sometimes instagram can get a little cray cray but yeah i that's great i stay clear from it i stay clear from the cray stuff (laughs) (laughs) just really quickly how do you keep Mm -hmm. yourself accountable when you're creating or are you always in the creative flow when you're writing music I am exposed <laughs> now, Kathleen. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, it's something I'm I... thinking about a lot, creative accountability. Oh my gosh, I am so I'm so bad at it. I because are you? Yeah, I'm bad at it. I create in the shower. Literally, I come up with oh. lines. Yeah, yeah. It comes to me in the shower most of the time. <laughs> I have many verses that I that have in recent years, a lot of my verses have come up in the shower. Um, and all of that changed. It did. I It changed when I had a baby. Like it was really, it was just really hard to, uh, to write in the same way um, uh, as I was before. I used to, I definitely used to be, you know, I had a practice and I was able to, to sit down and, and just think about anything and, and kind of like play with words and write down some things, not even just necessarily to use them, but just to um, keep the skill set going, you know, but then uh, becoming a mom, I, I really kind of, and plus like working and I work with words in different ways. And I think when I started to work writing yeah. for broadcast, that impacted also my practice because I was developing, I was doing that work more regularly, like more consistently. And I remember the very first time I started writing at CBC, they were like, that's great, but it's very poetic, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like an intro. It doesn't have to rhyme all the time. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or like all these images and all this stuff. So I think that (laughs) that definitely interfered. That interfered a bit with my practice and writing as a, as an MC, as a rapper. But I do have, um, I do have 
I do have some people around me who I have a friend who just always checks in. He's a great, great writer. And he's always like, what did you write today? Did you write two bars? Like, what mm. do you think? And that has helped me a whole lot. Like, I can't say that I've. I'm, oh, that's a good oh, one. Mm-hmm. But this is this is really it's homework. It's homework. It's very un- it's it was organic how it started. Um, because we sort of exist in, in two different worlds with regards to rap. Like he's coming from the battle rap community. Um, uh, his name is Cool Man Logan or Cracked Lips uh, is uh, is his artist name. And he, he, he's a, he, you know, he kind of really does exist in that freestyle world where, where I don't exist, but he, he writes what we call writtens as well. So it was just sort of, over the, you know, in the last, you know, year or so, like it's just a constant check-in from this person has actually helped me, even if it's just to remind me, like, write something, write something. And now people are often contacting me to contribute to their projects, like outside of Nomadic Massive. So that's also making me accountable. And sometimes I'm very late (laughs) getting things executed. So I'm, I need to, I need to really work at that. Um, but, um, my it my creativity. Are you still carrying around a notebook? Absolutely. Yeah, I have I have little okay. notebooks. I do. I did start writing on the phone for a little while because because that's what I carry around a lot. Uh, so it's funny to see all yeah. these little notes. You know, those Google notes or whatever those iPhone notes. Then I'm like, what is this? <laughs> it's yeah. just about it's just yeah. about eight bars, and I'm like, what, what is this thinking? exactly? What was this about? <laughs> Um, but I do have, I carry around a little notebook and I jot down, I definitely jot down things that come to mind. Um, and, and I try to, but I, I'm slowly getting back to making this more, um, getting back to that practice. And I think now's the right time that I can do it. Um, to just going back to taking a little bit of time to think about something and um and come up with a few bars like just a few bars little by little you know our drummer is an excellent freestyler but a beats and 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 a really good writer as well and i remember us having conversations about that just like two bars at a time just write two bars it doesn't even matter what it's about it's yeah. just about coming up with some clever come some clever lines and uh clever rhyme patterns or flows and yeah so i'm moving back to, moving back to that but my most prolific work has been while in a nice warm shower. Yep. I wrote something about the pandemic when I was in the shower and I was shocked. I was like, where did that come from? It came out of nowhere. Like it just, it just flowed. Are you serious? And thought, yeah. And I couldn't believe Do it. You, I was just like, where? Do you want to share it with us or are you keeping it for the next album? Ha ha ha. I'm all ears. I don't know that I was going to use it on the next album. <laughs> um well well i did share no pressure but i can share this (laughs) i'll share the other one because it's i mean it's it is connected to the pandemic okay so this is a i still want yeah i'll share this it's a work in progress that's all i'll frame it (laughs) that's that's but it came to me quickly and i'll do it sort of like uh as spoken word not really rappy 
Elitist, yo, drop the mean shit. You feeling defeated? I'm feeling feverish. No Rona, but I need this. Toxins exit depleted. We cleaning and the earth's breathing. While we kneeling at her mercy, don't curse me, curse you. Price that we pay for shit that you do. Want to be greedy? Tell us we needy. When you decree, then it's feces all over all species. Leave us here bleeding out of veins, out of pockets. Raise hate, launch rockets to the space where you think you could stop shit. You could top shit. More profits. Sorry to say you done lost it. Call yourself bosses. This here is costly. Nothing more dangerous than invisible droplets. Oh, my God. I love it. Oh, it was so good. Okay. Well, this is something that I ask a lot of my guests, and it's... uh. It's not really a question, but complete the sentence. Mm. Nantali is a vehicle for. <laughs> oh, what is this question? Nantali. What's this question? Okay, okay. Okay, hold on. Can I? I got to think. What? Oh, what a. Don't think too hard. Uh, yeah, but like that. The, um, okay. What came to me instinctively, which probably sounds like a cliche, Natalie is a vehicle for change. And that's not a cliche, is it? Stop it's not. It. No, it's not. If, if that's what if that's what came to you, it came to me. I just I want like to contextualize it because I feel that everything that I do, I'm thinking about change in everything that I do to make whatever it is better where I am, not for me, but for others and for all of us as the collective. So even when I'm working, I'm even when I'm mothering, I've been working really hard to raise my son to not be a misogynist or a sexist or anybody who holds up the patriarchy, like as best as my ability. Right. So even in my mothering, I'm trying to be a vehicle for change, you know, even in my, in my art and and in my broadcasting and my storytelling, I'm trying to be a a vehicle for change. Yeah. Well, I think you're doing a pretty damn good job. Oh, (laughs) thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I just want to thank you so much for your candor and, your honesty and the conversation. Thank you for inviting me. And it's a great podcast. Congrats to you for, for having this idea. And oh, thanks so much. Stories. So good job. Well, uh, keep on keeping on, <laughs> take some breaks and have a good one. Yeah, you too. You too. <laughs> thanks so much. Okay. Thanks again so much for being here with us. Merci beaucoup. If you like this podcast, don't forget to rate, review, star, subscribe, share with a friend. See you next time on the Her Story Podcast.